Amen. Thank you, David, Pastor Bill, worship team. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I hope you do. I want to encourage you to open them to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to take a brief reprieve uh, from the book of Genesis as we began to make preparation and plans to regather. Uh, I said, Lord, take me, take us where you want us to go. And God continued to take my heart back to Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. And I think it's so critical uh, on this day when we begin to regather to remind ourselves of the great salvation that God has accomplished for us in Christ. I think that now more than ever, we as God's people need to be laser focused on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And probably no passage in all of God's word that more beautifully or wonderfully describes the salvation that God has accomplished for us and that that Christ has accomplished and the Holy Spirit has applied than Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. If, If you know this passage, if you're familiar with it all, you would know that in the Greek, it's all one sentence. That one commentator said that Paul throws out all grammar and all analysis as he explains to us the wonder and the greatness of the salvation that God has given to us in Christ. It's like standing beneath the door of a grain bin and Paul pulls the lever and all the wonders of God's glorious riches and grace in Christ just overwhelm our hearts and our lives. You're intended to read read this passage and just shake your head and say, stop it. That's enough. I'm overwhelmed. It's too much. What a powerful passage. You know what's amazing in, in these verses? No moral commands. You're intended to just kind of sit back, kick your shoes off, and just rest and bask in the glory of God's salvation. And that's what I want us to do this morning. For this, this brief period of time, I, really the, the, the passage, it doesn't even need to be preached. Although if it's okay, I'm going to go ahead and preach it. But it just, it, just, it just needs to be read. It's so powerful. So look with me. Let's just read these verses beginning in verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestines to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention which he purposed in him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times that is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we also have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him you also... 
after having listened to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise who is given as a pledge of our inheritance to a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. God, we ask you to speak to us today. By the power of your spirit, make your word alive. If there's anybody here today that doesn't know the wonder of your grace in Christ, I pray that today would be the day of salvation for them. God, bless the study of your word. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Look there in in verse 3. He he starts out, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Literally it reads, Blessed be the blesser who has blessed us with every blessing. Do you see the emphasis? He's saying to us, We are blessed. Why are we blessed? Because the greatest blesser has given us the greatest blessing. And you say, well, how and in what way have we been blessed? So he tells us we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. We need to be clear here. We're talking about spiritual blessings. That if you trust Christ today, I cannot promise you that you'll lose weight, your health will improve, your job will get better, or your bank account will get bigger. No, the blessings we're talking about here are spiritual blessings. They're things that the world doesn't necessarily seek after, but we know are of eternal significance. They're things that are true of Christ. Remember, Christ was not wealthy. In fact, he had nothing. People didn't follow Christ because of his wardrobe. They didn't follow him because the car he drove, the camel he robe, or the, the home that he lived in. In fact, he had no place to lay his head. When he died, they literally rolled dice for all of his possessions and walked away with them in their pockets. He had nothing. But I can guarantee you this morning, there's not one soul in eternity that wouldn't trade places with him. These are spiritual blessings of eternal significance. Then you ask, well, how much has he given? Well, he tells us. He's given us every spiritual blessing In other words, God's not holding out on you this morning. He has given all he can give. He can go no further than what he's gone in Christ. Listen to me, there's no second blessing. He doesn't say, well, he gave us a part of what we need and the rest you gotta pray for. No, he says we have everything, every spiritual blessing in Christ. It's done, it's finished. And what is the location of these blessings? He says, in the heavenly places, in Christ. Christ. That phrase in Christ or in him occurs 12 times in these 14 verses that all of these blessings that we know, they come to us as we are united with Christ by faith in him. When you place your faith in Christ, you are united with Christ. There is a union. This is the beauty of our salvation. There's a union between us and Christ. That Christianity is not just simply the following of the teachings of Christ. That's what a lot of people think. Christianity is just following the teachings of Christ. Listen, explaining Christianity as following the teachings of Christ is like trying to explain astrophysics by saying twinkle, twinkle, little star. 
Listen, when you come to faith in Christ, it's beyond what we can get our mind around. You're united with Christ. You're a vine to a branch. You're a body part to a body. You're a bride to a bridegroom. You're a sheep to a shepherd. And his death becomes your death. And his life becomes your life. And his victory becomes your victory. And because he defeats sin, sin, Satan, and death, you also defeat sin, Satan, and death by means of your faith in him. He has no sin, you're declared righteous. He is holy, we are holy. He is raised and seated, and we are with him in his sight. How? In Christ. Every spiritual blessing in Christ. And then he, gonna, he just lays it out for you. He tells us how all this happened. Number one, he tells us that this is a work that God planned. It was a work that God planned. Uh, in verses four through six, he says he chose us, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. He says he chose us in him, meaning that this choosing of us was not because we were attractive, good-looking, smart, wealthy, or rich, or gifted. This choosing came on the basis of Christ, and he says it was an eternal choice. He says, before the foundation of the world, before the foundation of the world, God loved you. Before the foundation of the world, God had a picture of you, and he had already decided he would do whatever it took to buy you back. Before you ever did anything good, and before you did anything bad, he chose you. Now, people often ask, how did you find God? Well, the reality is you didn't find God because God was never lost. He found you because you were lost. And I know there's some of you, we start talking about this choosing, it makes you a little nervous, you get a little uncomfortable, causes some of you some problems. Can I just say to you, with all the graciousness that I can muster, tough. Don't try to qualify the sovereignty of God. Do I understand all this? No way. If I read all this and we just nodded our heads and say, boy, that pastor, but that makes perfect sense to me. Because we want it to make sense in our minds, don't we? If this made sense to all of us, something wouldn't be right. Because if I can understand God, he must not be that big. Because I'm going to tell you this morning, I'm not that smart. I can't understand all this, but I will not try to explain away the sovereignty of God with a pithy little statement. I used to say that I'm a part of God's chosen people because I chose him. And I understand to some extent that's the way it made sense in my mind. So I would say I'm a part of God's chosen people because I chose him. Do you know what? Today that that statement makes me very uncomfortable. Because the more I understand who I am, the more I understand the depth of my own sin, the more I understand who God is and Christ is and his holiness, the more I understand of God's word, the more that statement makes me uncomfortable because it gives me a whole lot more credit than I deserve. The fact of the matter is, I did not choose Christ. He chose me. Left to my own devices, I would have never chosen him. Apart from his sovereign grace and his calling in my life, I would still be dead in my transgressions and sins and on a fast track to hell. And how many of you would say the same thing this morning? You never woke up one morning and said, today I'm going to go find Jesus. 
No, you are just happening through your life and God intervened by means of his grace and he turned his heart towards himself and you saw the nature of your sin and the beauty of Christ and you ran to him. Powerful picture here. The fact of the matter is, if I have any part in my salvation, then I can take credit for it, can't I? I can start to say, look at what I did. But what do we know in Ephesians 2? For by grace you've been saved through what? Through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God so that no one should boast. Isn't this beautiful? God has rigged this salvation in such a way that he does all the work and he alone gets all the glory. And our only boast is in Christ. Not only an eternal choice, it was a purposeful choice that we would be holy and blameless before him. Do you notice today, when God saved you, he had an agenda for you. If you're a Christian today, do you know that God has an agenda for your life? He wants to shape you. He wants to mold you. We're seeing this in, in Abraham's life in Genesis, aren't we? God's molding him just like he's molding us. But when God saves us, he saves us to sanctify us and he saves us ultimately to glorify us. It's a package deal. You can't have one without the other. You can't have the salvation of Christ and not also have the sanctification of Christ. You can't have the sanctification of Christ and not also have the glorification of Christ. Folks, this is beautiful. When God saves us, he saves us to the fullest, past, present, and future. Amen? And it's a package deal. You get Christ, you get it all. Several years ago, my brother and I, Pastor Steve, we went out to Arizona, got to play some golf out there for a few days. We went to this golf course. I believe Dennis was the one who connected us. There he is, Dennis. Connected Pastor Steve with this guy, this golf course. I'm telling you, it's the most beautiful golf course I've ever seen in my life, Dennis. We went there, and, and, uh, and, and I remember driving up, and Bob Walker's with you. We're there, and we, we go up the deal, and, and, uh, and, and Steve gives him his name. And I'm thinking, there's no way this is going to work. They're not going to let us in. And they go back, they confer, they come back, and said, you're in. That's a good deal. We, we drive up, beautiful clubhouse. We go up there, and we start to make arrangements to pay. They said, it's all covered, paid. You're good to go. They say, you want to go hit some golf balls? They got the range up there. They got us the cart. We drive, How much do we owe you for the balls? It's all covered, paid for, package deal. You're all covered. Get up there, there's some tees, ball marks. How much for these? All covered. I start shoving tees in my bag, you know. Hit some golf balls. Sign us a caddy. You give us a caddy. The guy goes with us. Help us. It's going to take more than a caddy to make me play good. But they put this guy with us. And, and he's there. And we play a few holes. And, and he tells us there's a refreshment center over here. Stop over here. We pull over there. There's, there's drinks. There's Cokes. There's candy bars. There's fruit. There's snacks. He goes, you, you guys want some of this? I said, well, how much do we owe you? This time he's getting frustrated. It's all paid for. It's a, it's a package deal. I'm shoving candy bars in now. <laughs> Little did I know there's another refreshment station three more holes later. All paid for. Folks, that's the way it is in our salvation. We come to God and say, how in the world can I come before you? You know what he says? It's paid for in Christ. How can a nasty sinner like me get into heaven? It's paid for in Christ. How can I have forgiveness? It's paid for. How can I be made holy in my life? It's paid for. He says, I've provided the spirit. It's covered. How can I be raised from the dead? He says, it's paid for. How can I be raised up and seated in the heavenly places? It's paid for in Christ. It's a package deal. 
Amen. He has chosen us. You, you, you go on here, it gets better. Hold up. He says he's predestined us. It's the Greek word proherizo, means to mark off beforehand. And he predestines to adoption as sons. Not as slaves, as sons. It's not as though God said, well, I don't really want to save them, but I got to. So I'm going to save them. Y'all now sit over here and be quiet and don't mess this deal up. No, we are not second class heavenly participants. You're not on the B team. You are raised up to sonship, to, to, to daughtership. And he says this, he, he's adopted us through Christ to himself. To himself. Meaning he chose us so that he could embrace us. You know, there were times when our boys, when they were little, they get so dirty you have kids, you know this. Just eating and everything, just being out. They just get so dirty. You can't hold them. You know what I mean? You just, and, and Faith would have to take them in the bathtub and just, you know, sometimes right in the sink just with the hose, you know, just getting them. Because you had to clean up before you could hold them. God chose us so that he could hold us. You know, when we think of our salvation, we think of the benefit that comes to us. There was a benefit for God as well, wasn't there? Because in his choosing us, he's provided a means by which he can embrace us and hold us. And all of this is the praise of his grace. As we said earlier, he saved us in such a way that he, gets the, he alone gets the glory. When I was at SBU, uh, Dr. Gordon Dutiel was teaching on this very passage, and after it was over, we had a student in our class who was paralyzed from the neck down. And after the class was over, this student went into Dr. Dutiel's office. And he said, Dr. Dutiel, I have no idea why God chose me. But I sure am glad he did. Any of you feel that way this morning? See, the emphasis of this passage is not on who gets in and who's left out. No, the emphasis of the passage is on the greatness of the God who would save or choose any of us. And the truth of the matter is the Bible teaches both the responsibility of man and the eternal sovereignty of God, and we must hold both. And we may not be able to completely harmonize both of them in our minds, but rest assured this morning, they are completely harmonized in the mind of God. And in the presence of such wonderful, gracious grace and wisdom, what is our attitude? We just praise him. Praise him for the depths of his wisdom and grace in Christ. God planned it. The Son accomplished it. We see this in verses 7 and following, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. So God planned. Christ is going to accomplish. And what does he accomplish? Redemption. In him we have redemption. It's the word uh, apoluo, to loose from. It's the, 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 the freeing of a slave by means of a payment. You see, between God choosing to save us and us actually being saved, there was a problem. And what was the problem? We're all sinners. We're in bondage to sin, all of us. Prior to faith in Christ, I never repented for my sins. I was never broken over my sins. 
I was a slave to sin, as were all of us. But in Christ Jesus, there's the freeing of the slave. How? The payment was made through his blood. In order to free us, in order for God to extend his hand of grace and mercy, his hand of justice must be appeased and paid for. And Christ stepped up and he took the hit for us and he shed his blood so that we could be freed from the bondage of sin and shame. Redemption and then forgiveness. Forgiveness according to the riches of his grace, he says. Forgiveness, a Greek word, means to send away. When you place your faith in Christ, your sins are as far as the east is from the west. And you say, well, how much forgiveness does he extend? Well, he says here, according to the riches of his grace. I love this, because he doesn't say out of the riches of his grace. He says according to the riches of his grace. Big difference. If you uh, encounter Bill Gates on the streets today, and he feels sorry for you, and he gives you a $100 bill, that's him giving from his riches. If he were to give according to his riches, he'd give you his bank account and his debit card and say, all that I have is yours. You see the difference? See, when God forgave us, he didn't forgive us out of his riches. He forgave us according to his riches. And how rich is God? He is infinitely rich in what we need the most, which is forgiveness and grace. And I know there's some of you today that are wondering, have I gone too far? Have I done something that would prevent God from forgiving me? You need to remember he has forgiven you according to the riches of his grace in Christ. He can go no further than what he's gone in Jesus Christ. And then there's a revelation. It says, in all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will. We know this. This is not something you think your way into. This is something God reveals to to you. In fact, prior to faith in Christ, most of us thought of the gospel as foolishness. That's what Paul says in Corinthians. It was a mystery. But if you know Christ, you know that moment came. At some point in time, at one moment or another, all of a sudden, the depth of your sin became known to you and the beauty of Christ became known to you and you ran to Christ. It wasn't something you thought your way into. God revealed it to you. As Paul says in Corinthians, the God who said, let light shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the gospel in the glorious face of Christ. God made known to us. And then he says, uh, we are in anticipation. He says, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in heaven and earth. With a view, we are an anticipation of the fullness of times. Now let's be clear, the fullness of times is not the church. This is not as good as it gets. Because if it is, God loses because we know according to John right now, the whole world lies in the grip of the evil one. But what do we know as believers? There is coming a day, right? (laughs) When every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. One day Christ is coming back. And there'll be no more politics and no more religion. Only Jesus Christ, priest and king, and he's not running for savior. You're not voting him in. God has already established him king. And at that moment, everything's going to come back underneath the headship of Christ. As it was rightly intended to be. But we aren't there yet. 
But what Paul is saying, even though we're not there yet, there's a place you can go. There's a place you can come. This group known as the church, the ecclesia. And you can go to this place and there are Hispanics and Africans and Asians and Irishmen and Scots and Germans and Wildcats and Jayhawks and Tigers and Sooners and young guys and old guys and rich guys and poor guys. And we don't have a seating chart, amen? It's like Thanksgiving family dinner and everybody, regardless of where you came from or what you look like or what you have, we all have the same seating at God's table through faith in Jesus Christ. There's neither slave nor Greek, slave nor free. We're all one in Christ Jesus. Amen? Powerful picture that we as a church are in anticipation of what's coming. We give the world a little picture of what heaven's going to be like. We should. We're in anticipation. Then we talks about our inheritance. Verse 11, we have obtained an inheritance. Now, I would imagine most of you like me, you're not expecting some great financial windfall in your life. But that's okay. Because if we know Jesus, we're a co-heir with Christ. Let that sink in for just a moment. If you know Christ, you are a co-heir with Christ. Meaning it doesn't matter what you have in this world or don't have in this world. You are eternally wealthy in Christ when you know him. Paul said to the church in Smyrna, I know your poverty. He says it's no no hidden secret, church at Smyrna, you're a poor people. But you know what he says to them? You are rich. You are eternally wealthy. Jesus said in John 14, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places, many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go away to prepare a place for you. If I go away, I'll come again to receive you to myself, that where I am there you may be also. You've got an eternal mansion. You may live in a shack right now, but if you know Christ, you have an inheritance. Peter says it's an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. What an inheritance we have in Christ. Great pastor R.G. Lee, he wrote an entire sermon on this called Payday Someday. Amen? It's coming. And then finally, he talks about the Holy Spirit who applies this work in verses 12 through 14. God planned it. Christ accomplished it. The Spirit applies it. He says, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. A king in this day would send a scroll and he'd put a wax seal on it. It was his, his royal insignia. And it was a symbol to anybody who came across that letter that if you mess with that letter, you were punishable by death until the letter reached its final destination. That you and I, when we place our faith in Christ, we are sealed. When you trusted in Christ, God put his divine insignia on your heart and your life through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's God's guarantee to you that you will reach your final destination. Why? Because what God starts, he always finishes. And he calls the Holy Spirit God's pledge. Meaning it's like an earnest payment. If you've ever bought a house, you know at some point that seller says, I'm going to need some kind of indication that you're going to follow through on this deal. So you'd put down an earnest payment. 
maybe $500, $1,000, whatever your earnest payment was. But what was that earnest payment? It was your down payment. It was your guarantee that the rest is coming. And if I back out on this deal, I lose my earnest payment. The Holy Spirit is God's earnest payment that the rest is coming. In fact, it's God's promise that the best is yet to come. And God does not lie. It's his guarantee that you will reach your final destination. Do you see this salvation that God has accomplished for us? It's a work that God planned before the foundation of the world. He knew you and he loved you. It's a work that Christ accomplished. And it's a a work that the Holy Spirit applies as the guarantee that God will finish what he started. You know, the story goes of a man who was incredibly wealthy. He had this woman's life he loved dearly. They got married. A few years later, as she was giving birth to their son, she died. He was heartbroken, and all of a sudden this son became the center of all his affection and all of his love. And that boy grew to about 12 years of age, and then suddenly that boy fell ill and died. And this man was so heartbroken over the death not only of his wife, but now his son, that he lost his will to live. And he fell sick, and he died. And having no family... It was stated that all his possessions were to be auctioned off, public auction. And all of a sudden, all the city came in, came out to this man's estate to cash in on what he had earned. And as the auctioneer read off the will, it was determined that the first thing to be auctioned off was an oil painting of that 12-year-old boy. 12-year-old boy in his best Easter suit, big smile on his face, oil painting. And the auctioneer raised up the painting and said, who will take the sun? Nobody said anything. Everybody wanted the father's goodies, but nobody wanted the son. All of a sudden, a lady in the back, she raised her hand and said, I'll take him. This lady, she had helped raise that boy after the passing of his mother, so that boy was like a second son to her. They mentioned a nominal fee. She said, I'll pay it. She came up. She took the painting. She went to the back of the room. She sat down. The auctioneer then stood, raised his gavel, and he rang it loud and says, the auction is over. And everybody's astounded. What do you mean the auction's over? And he says, it says here in the will, Whoever takes the son takes all the father's wealth. Throughout this passage, the key phrase is in him, in Christ. Do you understand this today? When you take Jesus, you take all the father's wealth. But you can't come any way you want to come. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through him. You've got to take the Son. 
You've got to admit your sin. You've got to admit Christ is your only hope of salvation. You've got to trust in him completely. But if you will, through faith in Christ, apart from no act of your own except believing in Jesus, all the wealth of the Father becomes yours. That is a great salvation. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word that speaks so clearly of your salvation that you have provided for us in Christ. God, I pray if there's anybody here today that they've never had a moment where your spirit opened their eyes to the depth of their own sin and the beauty of Christ, I pray that today, God, you would work in their heart to show them the beauty of Christ. I pray that you would overwhelm them so much with the love and the riches of Christ that they couldn't help but run to you. And God, for those of us that do know you, I pray today that in light of what you've done, the only logical response is to turn everything we have back over to you, to say our life is not our own. We've been bought with a price. Not out of a sense of obligation, not grudgingly, but out of a deep sense of gratitude with hearts overwhelmed with goodness, knowing that the greatest treasure we'll ever know in this world or the next is knowing you through faith in Christ. God, I pray again this morning we would turn our eyes on Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of this earth would grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Oh, help us to fix our eyes on Jesus and his salvation today. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.